They say I'm disturbed. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spread. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Will you tell these fools I'm not crazy? Not crazy. hysteria. You can't handle the truth. Brain is gone. This is Hysteria 51. The truth is out there. It's a lie. But you won't find it here. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Welcome in Hysteria Nation to the podcast that had never heard of Butterbox Babies, but assumed it was someone's nickname in high school. This is Hysteria 51. You never know. It might have been just for very different reasons. When you're right, you're right. (laughs) But we are broadcasting from the lower fourth dimension, otherwise known as Chicago. My name is John Goforth, and I'm here to help host this horror show. Alongside are the velvety tones of Mr. Brent Hand. Ah, thanks, John. And you are not kidding about tonight's topic. It did not wind up being what I thought it might have been when someone suggested it as a topic. <laughs> not exactly the same. No, not at all. Not at all. I was I, I and it's also decidedly not Canadian feeling. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, what's that about? I normally kind of feel like Canada is, you know, like the U.S.'s moral compass of sorts. If I look towards countries as my moral compass, I look in a different direction. Oh, yeah. Okay. What country do you uh, do you track to? North Korea, Syria, Chad. It's, uh, I'm sorry I asked. That's... That, that That's the who's who as, as to, you know, countries run by uh-huh. good people. Uh, by you know, there's freedom, uh, freedom to do what you want. Uh, yeah, it, it completely checks out. See about right. Pick me next. Pick you for what? She's E countries. I want to name my countries. <sighs> okay, Kyle. What countries do you track to as your moral compass? So glad you asked. My 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 favorites are Omicron Theta, Oneaka Three, Interlina Three. Oh, Jesus, Kyle. Those are fake planets. Uh, I'm guessing from Star Trek. Not real countries on Earth, if I had to, to, to guess, you know, basing off uh, everything he's been mumbling about for the last few weeks. That's true. Everyone's a cartographer. <laughs> Shut up, Seabot. Also, I'm <laughs> I'm kind of glad he brought this up. I want to quickly comment on Star Trek planet names. Okay, I, 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 I won't take us too deep. But it's always annoyed me when they, like, show up to this well-established planet, you know, with a long, rich history. Uh, and, and they're like, hey, you know, what's the name of this planet? Davidia 2 or you know Tarsus 3 like was your world so unremarkable that it's not even worth the time or effort to come up with a unique name well maybe the Davidians branched off and started their own planet ah. and now it's Davidia 2 <laughs> awful well, and, they, yeah, normally- they play a lot of music there it's, okay, it's awesome. Enough. enough. The, and normally, like in the parlance of Star Trek, the, the, it'll it, if it's Tarsus three, it'll be in the Tarsus system, you know. But it's like, but, well, yeah, okay, I, that would make sense if these were all uninhabited and like start and like the United Federation of Planets was naming them. But we're talking about planets that name themselves. You're you're literally- laughing and saying this shit until we go out into the cosmos and find others and find out they call us like cocksuck seven or something terrible I you're don't like think, eh. i listen of all the things in their tongue it means blue marble <laughs> <laughs> oh you're a cocksuckian <laughs> yeah those, yes those i blue, am those blue and those blue avians really uh really take the english language a different route <laughs> Ooh, those blue avian i tell you cocksucking seven <laughs> that that does not mean here what it means there. It just doesn't. I was partial to Earth too. No, no, you weren't. You were just partial to bad '90s sci-fi, and I guess Antonio's about a junior. We all have hobbies. <laughs> yes, we yes, we do. Anyway, if you're new to the show, my first question is, why are you starting on an episode that's titled Butterbox Babies? Uh, but we'll, we'll save that for another day. But if you are new to the show, you might be wondering what the hell all of that was. Uh, TLDR, these are our crazy robots. The homicidal dictator type is conspiracy bot. Brent built him to produce and research the show. He decided on a different life path, one mostly rooted in alcohol and despotism. The American dream. Yeah, the, the other one, well, I guess maybe Canadian, depending on after this week's episode, but hey, True. you know, we'll figure that out. The other one that can't seem to separate our reality from that of Gene Roddenberry's is Kyle. 
He's Seabot's sidekick, and he makes a pretty mean cup of joe. I have to say that. I am blushing. I think you're just overheating. Anyway, no. Brent, uh, enough of that, Michigas. Let's get to the important part, food. Oh. All right. So this is a heavy topic. So before we got into it, I wanted to go with something a little lighter. And so since we're talking Canada, I found a list of decidedly Canadian foods. Oh. I'm going to tell, tell you about them. Uh, you know, these are like the off the beaten path Canadian foods, at least off the beaten path to us. If you're a Canadian listener, you're probably going, well, those are like the most normal foods in the world. That's because you live in Canada anyway. But but if we like any of these, like if any of these sound really good, maybe it maybe it's our next uh, uh, cafeteria 51. Right. Well, let me before you give the list, I got to tell you this because you didn't even know this. Our friends, Lisa and I have uh, friends in Canada. They just sent friends? us a Canadian food care package. Oh, did they? So it was number one, ketchup potato chips, because <laughs> we like those. Oh, Lay's yeah. ketchup, and then a few, a couple other brands. We got a whole bunch of bags of those. And then some candy bars, which they're going to be very upset. Uh, we loved all of them, and I don't remember any of the names. But I never had them. So what what brand was the uh, ketchup flavored chips? So the, the so far we've only been eating the Lay's. Uh, the others, uh, one's like a kettle something brand, and there's one other, I believe. They there's weren't a, names that I was familiar with, so you wouldn't go, oh, you know, you know, Pringles or something like. Sure. That. No, there, there's a when a, when reading through Canadian food, this I literally do this kind of research. Everybody. Um, I, I discovered a number of brands that I wasn't familiar with, like they're Canadian brands. They're not, they're not American. And apparently the really popular one, a really popular one, not the only one is old Dutch, old Dutch ketchup chips. Uh, and so I, I wonder if that's one of them. That's interesting. I add them to my, uh, to my cart on Amazon and I will be trying the old Dutch ketchup chips because I like ketchup chips. I've had them. I enjoy them. So I will say this. Um, you sent me the link. I'm just looking over it now. I apologize that I was not prepared. I'm looking over it, and I see number 15 on the list is a Caesar, which I drink regularly in the Chicagoland area. Caesar is just a Bloody Mary made with Clamato instead of Bloody Mary mix. And one of the places that Lisa and I go to all the time that their go-to is a Caesar instead of a Bloody Mary. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I never knew it was called a Caesar, but I've been drinking Bloody Marys for a long time. I mean, I'm not going to say exclusively with Clamato, but like that's certainly, you know, once it's regular six months, or it an option way. around here. You right, know, the right, 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 right. Do you want Clamato or... I mean, plenty of bars stock Clamato, though eh, I suppose we're not that far from Canada. No, but yeah, it's interesting that... Um, it's so commonplace here. Yeah. Well, one that we don't need to spend a lot of time on because this is the this is the Canadian import that has made it everywhere, and that's poutine. Yeah. Uh, if you're not familiar, French fries, cheese curds, and brown gravy is yeah, the how best can you way to go wrong with describe that. it. First time I ever had it was at an airport, and then I sat um, upset with my decision for the flight. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, 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 one rule of thumb I think in life is if you want to try a regional delight, whether that's poutine in Canada. Whether that is a, um, uh, a horseshoe in Springfield, Illinois, uh, you know, wh- whatever the or the green, you know, the green chili in, in um, uh, New Mexico. Doesn't matter what we're talking about. Don't do it at the airport. Right. Well, I don't know <laughs> if you can really mess up poutine that hard, but it was good. I, I was just like, oh, God, it was in a little a heavy. Coma. <laughs> uh, the other one that it cracks me up. And if you're from central Illinois, you'll know this. So they have beaver tails which is fl- fried dough covered in stuff. Well, yeah. when we go to fairs, they're called elephant ears, and it's the same thing, and you can get them with apples and, and Nutella and all sorts of you know bananas and all sorts of stuff all over them. Same difference. It's exactly the that's, same yeah, thing. That's a good point. I mean, like, I'm sure there were people. There are people that are yelling at their device right now. It's not the same thing. Beaver tails are special, or elephant ears are special. <laughs> but you're, I mean, fried dough with shit on it. You're right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just deep fried dough with toppings, and then you know that you know the sugar on it and things like that. You know, it's you can have it however you like it. Uh, that's just, you know, split pea soup that I didn't know that was Canadian because that's everywhere. I didn't, I'd never heard of, um, I'd never heard of this bread bannock. No, um, I saw that too. And I don't, um, so it, it says it's, um, it says there are baked versions and fried versions and mm-hmm. the baked versions tend to be heavy and dense and the fried versions are a bit more crispy and fluffy, but like the way they, they suggest like the way it's in this article, in this blog post that they suggest eating it is with like uh, grilled bacon on top. And I got to tell you, I, I think 
I think it'd be hard to make me mad with a good piece of fresh bread with fresh bacon on top. Like, I'm probably going to like that. Another one that we, a friend of ours, Scott Gust, has posted about cooking his own. He's Canadian. uh, Has posted about cooking on his own that I've never had. I've never had these. Are butter tarts. Yeah. um, I've seen, I've never had it, but uh, I'm familiar with it. And they're so simple. From what I understand, they're like butter, sugar, and eggs. That's like it. This one kind of uh, surprised me, and you know we can. You know, I know we're going long on the 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 chomping down on food. Game meat. They're like, oh yeah, they hunt up here. So, you know, venison and caribou and moose. Uh, I grew up hunting. Man, we always had deer and everything in the the freezer. You know, I think the point they're trying to make, and they're not doing a very good job of it, is that it's much more commonplace just to walk into a local bar and there's like an elk burger on the. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Uh, versus like here, you know, it's still kind of a specialty. Yeah. Or unless you're in Springfield and you go to like the, there's a couple places and they have like literally alligator tacos. Oh yeah. But that, the, the, uh, the place, that uh, yes. <laughs> like the average meal is like, we're talking about a bar that literally or... three people listening know what we're talking about. I right know, now, but, but it is that way. Every, everything on the wall is dead. <laughs> uh, yeah. And they, they have really good wings. Yes, uh, they do. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, Westwoods, but, Westwood. That, you're right. That's Westwood it. Lodge, Westwood Lodge, Lynn. Westwood Shout out. Lounge. They should be a sponsor. Um, <laughs> Brent, the two other things I didn't, I wanted to quickly touch on. Montreal style bagels. Never heard of it. Want to try it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love what is New the York. Montreal style. What's the difference? Uh, so Montreal bagels are um, they they say they're a little sweeter, denser, and thinner than New York style bagels. Mm, okay, uh, well, and then there's Chicago style bagels, which are donuts. So yeah, yeah there's three <laughs> different versions there. Oh man, I a good love I love a good New York bagel. Um, the one other that I wanted to bring up, just because I hadn't heard of it, was Montreal style smoked meat. Um, and and it's it looks like corned beef or pastrami in the picture. And, and here's how they describe it. Similar to pastrami, Montreal smoked meat is a heavenly result of beef brisket salted and cured for a week with a range of spices before being smoked and steamed to perfection. It's usually served on a rye bread sandwich with yellow mustard. Smoked meat sandwiches from Swartz's Deli have earned worldwide recognition with some diehards considering it one of the best restaurants in Canada. So I wasn't familiar with that. I'm always interested in trying new types of meat. So I'm, I'm, I'm in for that. Yeah, yeah. Or if we take Ray with us, he'll have the side salad. And uh, uh, yes, yeah, like we did when uh, in L.A. when we went to the famous French dip place. Um, I'll have the side salad. Right, last, <laughs> last one, and I know we got to go, Brent. I had never heard of this, and I'm, I'm intrigued by it. Remember when we did mincemeat pie? Yeah, I saw they have their own like. Uh, they have. Version. It's called a a, a tortier, uh, a savory meat pie, commonly eaten during the holidays. Now, savory it would get me more than the sweet of yeah, or, yeah, you yeah. Know. yeah, definitely. Uh, but it I wasn't bad. That. It wasn't bad. And so, like, uh, but like a savory meat pie sounds really good. Like, I love um um what are they called um those ones you, your barber used the, to make be, the beef patties in Jamaica. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah, that's a meat pie essentially. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd love to try that anyway, nation, uh, enough of food, but if you have any enough of the Canadian... good things about Canada, let's go start shitting on them. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's get to the bad things. But if you have Canadian foods that you, we need to try, let us know. It'll, uh, maybe we'll do some, uh, some themed cafeteria 51s and Canada can be one of our days. Yeah. Like steamed hockey pucks or I don't know, like polar bear <laughs> flank, whatever the fuck you get. Goose down. Uh, yeah. Yeah, melted igloo surprise. I don't know what they do up there. (laughs) Makes sense to me. They're so nice you can't even find things to make fun of. What the fuck, Canada? That's what I'm getting at. But we have found one thing to make fun of because we're not making fun of the tragedy, but making fun of how fucking horrible it is. Yeah, they have made, and we could do a whole lot of stuff on the horrible things they did with separating, uh, outside of this, separating the indigenous people from their children and just the, the horrible things they did to the indigenous people. That we did too, uh, you know, and it's uh, true. not we, John and I don't do that on weekends, but you know, the, <laughs> the royal we. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of sadness this week and a lot of, of loss, and so we're not ever, uh, I hope you guys know I'm making fun of that, and we want to try to focus on the good of this, uh, which is survivors and, and people being able to find lost loved ones, uh, helping them find one another, something that's been very big in this group that we're talking about. But this one is a bad one, so be ready to hear about some sick fucks. 
Yeah, yeah, and if that, if tri- I suppose trigger warning, if if hearing about um, murdered children is not your bag, yeah, um, it's probably not, it might not be the episode for you. Yeah, so the the short and not so sweet four one one on the ideal maternity home. J- just to be clear, that's the name of a maternity home in Canada, right? Right. It, or it, we're was, not just saying yeah. it is the quote unquote ideal. They named themselves that. Yeah, yeah. How about that? The yeah. So Dateline, Eastchester, Nova Scotia, Canada. Uh, these tragedies started in the late 1920s and carried through to the 1940s. Uh, so the Life and Health Sanitarian later renamed the Ideal Maternity Home. So it wasn't, it didn't start out as ideal, and it surely didn't end that way. But hey, <laughs> playing words, it was operated by a William and Leela Young. Now I looked this Leela two eyes, just so you know. William was a chiropractor and Leela was a midwife, but marketed herself as an obstetrician. I market myself as a shaman, so I get it. Sadly, you would probably be a better choice than Willie or Leela Turnberger. Young. That's what I said. Anyway, uh, Ideal (laughs) started as a place for local married couples to get help. Stuff like maternity care, a a discreet location for unwed mothers to have their babies. So you got to remember to paint a little picture. We're talking the 1920s here. Back when things were black and white. Right. Religious views stopped legal adoptions in the U.S. across religious lines. There was also a lot of other things. And when you have a shortage of available newborns, Canada decides to step up in its place. This is also a time when unwed mothers might as well have been terrorists. You know, how dare you? You know, right. they, they would go on vacation and come back nine months later. Sad. What's wrong? It rained a lot in paradise. You know, I don't know. It's just fucking. It was a different time, John. It was a different time. It was a different time. Yeah. Like I said, religious views, state lines, things like that. They're throwing a kink in it. Canada steps up and boom, tons of American couples started to travel to Nova Scotia to adopt from the ideal maternity home. This place was was this oh, that sounds nice. I mean, for a lot of it, people, it's a, they are a they're a they're, they're shiny city on the hill. They're they're yeah, they're they're, a, a they're place offering of, something that is not a place available. of a place of refuge for the women who need some support and help and a a source of uh of of hope for the people that want to adopt kids that aren't in the greatest of situations so it's a win win right Are well we and you're hoping also an understanding and it should have been well we'll see if it stayed that way or was ever that way so i said there's these adoptions well back then cost of adoptions varied but get this it is believed that some couples paid up to 10 thousand dollars for a baby then you want a baby i can get you a baby by two o'clock <laughs> yeah with, with polish with polish <laughs> so ideal they use the hardship of these couples unable to have children compounded by the u.s laws that forbid them from even being able to adopt because maybe they weren't of the same religion and boom you've got a cash farm or as the fucking turd burgers as i like to call them uh uh, made it a fucking death farm. And at times there were upwards of 100 babies available for adoption. Sounds like a puppy mill. Yeah, I mean, right. Like, <laughs> well, I, right, man. And once you get the taste of that sweet litter money, uh, you just keep pumping them out. <laughs> I tell you, man. Now, as time went on and money came in and demand stayed high, the young's practice became more and more disgusting. And that's why it was became such big news that we're still talking about this today. This is like, this is the classic example. Uh, you know, one of the logical fallacies that people use in arguments is the slippery slope fallacy. You know, that, you know, you do this and it could lead to this and you tell one lie leads to another. Mm-hmm. You tell two lies. Anyway. Um, the slippery slope. Bill. Oh, wait, sorry. I thought we were just singing her. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the The point is the, the slippery slope fallacy. This is this is one of the few examples where that's exactly what happened. Uh, they're like, oh, maybe we'll just look the other way on this law or this rule. Um, before you know it, they're farming kids. Well, and not only are they farming, you know what you do when you got a crop that's not growing right? You cut it out. Well, that's what they fucking started doing with babies. If they decide babies were unadoptable, as they called it, either because of skin color, health issues, or whatever else, they left them to die. Literally go, nope, throw it out, and left it to die. This is the part of the story where it becomes really hard to start making jokes. Right. <laughs> like, there is nothing, 
Nothing funny about this. And this is also the part where you'll understand it gets its name. So the children were buried in well, one of a couple places. They were either buried in unmarked graves in the woods, behind the home, or dumped in the fucking ocean. And the name comes from the term Butterbox Babies. There was these small pine butter boxes that came from the local dairy. And they would go and get these boxes and use them as coffins because they said they were just the right size for a newborn fucking baby. So they could go throw it in an unmarked grave out in the woods or toss it into the fucking ocean. Man, it reminds me um, uh, only a lot, a lot less uh, bad. Reminds me of a, you know, a banana box move. You know, you're moving, but you know, you know, you're not going to like organize all your stuff into a box, into specific boxes for kitchen and wrap everything. It's, it's a, it's a college move. Yeah. It's a banana box move. You just go get a bunch of banana boxes from the grocery store yep. and, uh, throw all your shit in them, narrative lids, and you go. Let's see. I got an HDMI cable, my mom's ashes, a T-shirt. That's my homework. Uh, just throw in the junk pile. Half, Jeez, half eating PB and J. I might have that next week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, uh, so it reminded me of that, but uh, yeah, and not. <laughs> it's a not lot exactly worse than a college move. Yeah. 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 Well, I've seen some bad ones, but yeah, you're right. It is. <laughs> Technically worse. So this all came to light, though. In he 19- dropped the lava lamp. <laughs> Son of a bitch. That's why no one likes you, Dauber. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a real person's name, but that just sounds like something you would call. Isn't, a that, fucking- a, isn't that the guy on Coach? The big dumb luck oh, guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I think so. I, don't, I could be wrong. Uh, Craig T. Nelson. That's all isn't I remember. That's why no one likes you, Clutch. Anyway, uh, this all came to light in. You 19- better not break my black light. <laughs> this all, all right. came to, to light in 1946 when the Montreal Standard newspaper published the article that really brought, like I said, all the attention to it. Traders in fear. Baby farm rackets still lure girls who are afraid of social agencies. And this was a big one. Now, I said that was 1946. There had been other people that um, had looked into him, but writer Mavis Gallant, another fantastic name, uh, exposed that these young girls were going there were exploited by the youngs, bullied into putting children up for adoption instead of keeping them themselves because that meant they could get more money. They got questionable medical care at best from the youngs, and the youngs were international traffickers of babies. That's a hell of an Interpol wanted poster right there. Um. Brian, I want to take issue with a piece of your research here. I uh, take uh, take extreme umbrage with, I believe, uh, the writer's name is Mavis Gallant. Did I say Gallant? Gallant? Yeah. I'm sorry. It's like the Mitsubishi Gallant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was I thinking? Moron. <laughs> my 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 research didn't include throwing it into the the. Actually, I probably heard it a thousand times. The pronunciation but, machine. Yeah, uh, but that doesn't mean I'm. I don't retain things. Come on now. <laughs> so these youngs i'm sure were screaming out how dare they expose the truth I killed all my short-term memory in the 90s yeah <laughs> puff puff pass uh the youngs unsuccessfully sued for defamation and during the trial it was what revealed that dead infants were quote buried in butter boxes that's where that comes from I know that's a whole lot of quick fire. I know it's a lot to stomach, and there's so much more to this case, including that the mom from Webster played Miss Young in the movie, so that's fun. Ma'am, what are you doing with my dead brother? Uh, Yeah, we'll jump back into all of that nastiness after the break on Hysteria 51. Remember you always call her ma'am? Oh, his mom, yeah. Nation, what difficulties did you have with learning a new language in school or whenever you did it? Did you do it through textbooks or did you try to use some weird online thing? I know I took two years in high school and two years in college and I knew nothing. And that's because I wasn't using something like what we have been blessed to have as a longtime sponsor and we use it. Rosetta Stone, they're the most trusted language learning program and it's available on desktop or as an app. And the reason why I enjoy doing it, it immerses you in the language you want to learn instead of just being silly drills and a class you can sleep through. <laughs> I definitely use it. I, I think it's really cool how they have the speech recognition program on there. It gives you the feedback on the pronunciation. Are you making fun stuff. of me because I can never do that? That's what you're getting at right now. <laughs> That's what it, it's like, what are you trying to do? Do it right. <laughs> 
but it is really cool. They've got all kinds of lessons. You can do it uh, offline. You don't even have to be online for it. That is great because it's right there in your pocket or at your home and you can do it. You got 15 minutes. Let's go to town. Let's do it. You know, and mm-hmm. it's amazing value. Lifetime membership has all 25 languages available for any trips. You need language in life. You need to brush up on stuff. Maybe you just met a girl or a guy or a non-binary and they're from uh, somewhere else. Someone, you know, who knows? Well, if they're in the one of the 25, Rosetta's going to work for you. <laughs> you get lifetime access to all of that. And there is a 50% offer. So it is a steal. So don't put off learning language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Hysteria 51 listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for that 50% off that I just told you about. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. A today. So Brent, uh, yes, George Papadopoulos. <laughs> you you mentioned Webster before the break. Um, can we just take a moment and talk about Webster's house? Remember, he burned down their actual home, which was an oh, apartment. that's true. That's true. <laughs> they had to move in with that other family, and it was their house. But yes, let's talk about that home, and let's you know really paint the picture and not just lie and say it was theirs, John, because I think that our listeners know about Webster. That's true. That's true. Now, what was your favorite secret passage there? The ladder behind the well. There's two that I really like. The ladder behind the um, the grandfather clock that led up to the secret bedroom. That was like the daughter's bedroom originally, yeah, or whatever. Yep. That one was probably the coolest. I thought. I agree. I agree. I, the dumb waiter is fine, but uh, the the one behind the grandfather clock was the move. And by the way, uh, kudos to Susan Clark. That's the the gal that you're talking about that was in the movie. Um, Boy, she was pulling off the short hair before it was a thing. Yeah, she was. She rocked that forever, man. Oh, yeah. The, I really like the the hidden entrance to the basement that was under the stairs too, which was their whole. The people that own the house live down there. Really cool. Yeah, yeah. Made me really want secret passages, and to this day, it just gets stronger. And now Lisa wants them, <laughs> so we're like, if we ever build or go in a new house, it's the first thing is like close that off, close this up, put this there. Good to go. Uh, I've always, always wanted a secret passageway, and I, it's, it's, I just have to get to the part where I'm buying a house big enough that I can sacrifice some square footage for, you know. You prefer uh, showing off your rape dungeon right now as opposed to closing it off from prying eyes. But one day in the future, <laughs> there's a website that I, I go to, uh, well too often. Uh, what, uh, it's called Creative Home Engineering. Oh, nice. Uh, but it's hiddenpassageway.com, and they literally. You sell kits for like 10, 20, 30 grand to like, you know, your stairs will go up and reveal another room. <laughs> your bookcase will open to a, you know, secret door. And uh, um, this soap scrubs away all the lies. <laughs> <laughs> that was a different website, man. Yeah, I'm a different sorry. Website. I'm easily confused. It's, I had a lot of tabs open when I was looking at them. They liter- I literally saw one of the, they, they have, a, it's kind of like a Batman deal where the, the bust, the head, uh, uh, kind of flips back, mm-hmm. and you know the button is inside. Uh, I, anyway, I can go weird, on. But, no, that's weird because I was on the dark web the other day, and I found a Batman deal too. But it was just a guy looking for someone to kill his parents. So <laughs> it's not exactly the same, but uh, it's similar. Doesn't he know that the agony of not wanting that to happen is what turned him into Batman? <laughs> come on, John. While you're coming on, uh, why don't you come on and tell us about the Youngs and uh, how they were just uh, dirt fucking assholes. I would love to. So the Youngs, Lila Gladys Young was the I like daughter. to say Lila because then I can think of Futurama. Oh, is it No, it's probably, no, we're, I'm making a choice. Oh, Lila, okay. Lila, we can call her uh, Lila for all we care. It doesn't matter. She's a horrible person. We don't need to get her name. You sound right. like a flat earther. I'm making a choice to not believe in gravity. Well, <laughs> anyway. And they, so uh, real quick, there's a website, uh, there's a YouTube and Patreon and everything called Djibouti Dubs, and they dub stuff. And they just did a new one over the new Spider-Man game with Miles Morales where he's fighting this gang of guys that were like the rhino would bust them out of the prison, you know, and they're all this stuff. He's yeah. fighting them. And the, he's like, you guys got to go to prison. He's like, no, man, we got to tell everyone the earth is flat. He's like, yeah, die round earth, a dumbass. 
But it's just all dubbed over. I was laughing my the earth is flat, you idiot. And they're hitting Spider-Man. Uh, you gotta send that to me. I, I, I will. It's fucking hilarious. So uh, Lila Layla, whoever she is, she's the daughter of Salem. Layla, and Bessie. that's a new one now too. Car. <laughs> she's the daughter of Salem and Bessie Coolin. Uh, the family were, were Seventh-day Adventists. No, no, you don't just call out the name of Salem and Bessie and not even fucking talk about how awesome those names are. Salem. His name was Salem. Well, that's like that's like saying, look how cool this car is when there's a dinosaur in the room. I mean, there's just so much more <laughs> to this story than their names, but you're right. You're right. Speaking of the Batcave, uh, there is a dinosaur and a giant penny in there. So, yeah, well, I still just, think the Batmobile's uh, cool. Point. Yeah. Keep going. Um, they were Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, Lila became a teacher after uh, finishing school and then taught uh, in Fox Point, Nova Scotia. Uh, then at the age of 26 in 1925, she met William Peach Young. Mm, oh, Peach. I, I thought you were going to say I could eat a peach for days. <laughs> <laughs> they, were mar- uh, uh, they were married the same year, so apparently Lila could. Uh, anyway, Big <laughs> Willie was in unordained Seventh-day Adventist minister from Memra Cook. Wait, okay, let me Memram say this Cook. right. Memram, from Memram Cook, New Brunswick. Yeah. Crazy. I am an unordained Seventh-day Adventist minister also. You know, I, sure, that, I, probably. I mean, when you throw, when you throw the unordained modifier on there, I suppose anyone. They just keep trying to ordain me, but I keep telling them no. No, they don't. See, now no, it's not that part. See, now you lost us. Yeah, yeah. So this dude uh, graduated from the Medical Evangelist College in 1923. He was a self-described medical missionary, caring for the sick and spreading the gospel along the South Shore, as one is one to do. Yeah. Now, when you said he graduated from the Medical Evangelist College in 1923, he actually popped for the three-week course, not the two-week. So... <laughs> <laughs> It came with a decoder ring. They taught him about women and men. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so when they moved to, can't wait for it, Brent, Where'd the lower go? fourth. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, yeah. They moved to Chicago, uh, and in December of 1927, William graduated from the National College of Chiropractic. He now that a one, chiropractor. that that one's a real one because it's it's here, so it's got to be good. <laughs> it's got to be good. It counts. <laughs> Um, the same year, Lila graduated from the National School of Obstetrics and Midwifery. <laughs> say, say, say that with me now, Brent. Midwifery. You know what's funny is, I don't know that it's funny, midwives have kind of made a comeback in the last few we- weeks. I don't know, I said we- years. <laughs> it's been a crazy <laughs> month. <laughs> shit, man. Start investing in GameStonk and, you know, midwives just come knocking. <laughs> God. Anyway, yeah, no, but that is something like... Home births and water, but maybe it's got to do with the whole millennial stuff. I I don't know. I don't careful, know. careful. If you if you invest in AMC, phrenologists show up at your door. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I knew you were going to do this because you're. Oh, there's a bump there. Never mind. I'm going to call the police. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on, they were they uh they they were only in Chicago until they graduated. They then returned up to the to the Great Northern Way, and in February 1928. Opened the Life and Health Sanitarium, Brent, where the sick get well. Yeah, that was literally they said where the sick get well, which you would hope to God is just the understood. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to ANC Movieplex, where we play movies. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Welcome to Tom's Tavern, where we serve beer. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, it's just that's the, <laughs> and, and, and dreams go to die. <laughs> maybe that's just a Canadian thing where you just you you state the obvious. I don't know. <laughs> so they were poor and they barely had enough money to buy cots for the patients to sleep on, but not for long. Because guess what? Oh, Mama Young, my Lila, your yeah. Lila started delivering babies, and within the year, the Youngs were specializing in maternity services. Obviously, they pivoted their business. Yeah, uh, pivot, Brent. It, they disrupted and then they pivoted. Pivot. No, actually, first they pivoted, then they disrupted. Pivot. So our friends, fans out there, pivot. <laughs> anyway, 
Um, and, uh, and, and they did this, uh, largely for unwed mothers because it was much easier to make money yeah, on. Yeah, Yeah. And, uh, then the business became known, uh, as we set up top as the ideal maternity home and sanitarium. Yeah. Now back then sanitarium just meant hospital. Now it's got a different connotation, but back then, uh, it didn't mean like you were, you know. A loony bin or whatever you want to might, right, might, right. might come to mind now when you think of it. Brent, tell us about the day-to-day in Satan's birthing chamber. Yeah, yeah, that's when it gets fun. Privacy and discretion guaranteed. That was literally their claim to fame. They they would put that in all of their advertisements that they put out there. Excuse me. Excuse me. Advertisements. Thank you. <laughs> Payment on arrival was a condition between $100 and $500 Canadian for a room and board delivery and the adoption of the baby. Now, this was in addition to $12 uh, for babysitting services and layettes and $2 per week for, for this and that and a dollar for this and a nickel for this. And They just started nickel and diming people. And think about this. 100 to $500 in the 1920s to an unwed mother. Holy shit. It's a snake that eat, eats its own tail, too, because, you know, you're an unwed mother. We're not going to hire you. Oh, oh, well, hold on now. Uh, bonus. They had the opportunity to work off the debt if unable to pay their bill. That was an option they gave them. So, I mean, oh, that sounds nice. uh, that sounds uh, vaguely similar to indentured servitude. Right. Oh, oh. And uh, because they fucking sucked, burial fees of $20 were also charged to cover the cost of burial of babies that die at their home. That $20 included $5 toward a shroud that they would put in the butter box. And then $15 to the Young's because they requested that to be present at the burial because reasons reasons and you know the oh god okay so another uh, another moment for a gross thought but like these people are so psychotic that they wrote into contracts to where they would for they're forcing themselves to show up to the funeral of every dead baby that is uh, many of which are conceivably dead because of them. Right. Like how fucking psychotic do you have to you want to you want to you know be proud of your work? Like come the fuck on. I, even a, a criminal mastermind doesn't actually want to see the dead baby go into the ground. Gee, Ricky, I'm really sorry your mom blew up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like I don't know, man. Yeah. Like like these are these people are true psychotic. Well, it did it it didn't stop there. The shit didn't stop. Unwed moms were forced to sign contracts, like you just said. They were they're, they're these crazy contracts. It gives William the power of attorney and legal authority over their babies and their adoptions. Now the problem is they're not sitting there reading this stuff. They're just going, "Yeah, I got to have a baby. This place will take me. Nowhere else will." Especially back home in the states or or wherever they might be from. Now, right. if not signed within fourteen days of birth, they were charged an additional thirty fucking dollars. And by the time the girls left the home, their bill was usually at least $300 or more. Now, to put that into perspective, average wages at the time, if you're in sales, like a sales clerk at a store, was $8 a week. And if you worked in domestics, you made $4 a week. It's insane. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the legalities, uh, legalities aside, because I, I mean, a lot of this shit's illegal, obviously. It goes to show you how desperate, how society's view of young women who, who might have been having children out of wedlock, um, how society's view has, has, has changed, certainly, but then right. also how fucked, how much it fucked with the heads of people that they would agree to this stuff. Right, like, right. Like, like uh, I'm sure many of these women weren't dumb. They knew what they were diving into to one extent or another. I mean, obviously, they didn't know about the, the murder and such, but uh, the... They knew what they were. They knew that they were setting themselves up for failure, you know, for three hundred dollar bill, and there's no way they could pay it. But because of the way society treated them, um, they really didn't see, feel like they had an option. Well, guess I'll go die, or you know, go to some backwoods fucking dude with a. I mean, literally, that's where the term coat hanger comes from, you know, and take your fucking chances. That's why women are throwing themselves down fucking stairways and staircases and shit or committing suicide because for some reason, you know, some people thought that it, that was less of a toll on their family. Uh, well, and to your shame. point, to your point, like you were talking about sanitarium earlier, well, one of the things about sanitariums is they they, they kind of were in a way uh, like they are today in that they would 
they would send women there um, that were, you know, that they were basically deeming crazy because they have the melancholies, which essentially means that they woke up on the wrong side of the bed. But they'll send them there for six months and give them the water treatment. You know, my wife asked to wear pants. <gasps> Give me my lobotomy kit. <laughs> we will not stand for that. He won't, you know. He doesn't stand for baloney. <laughs> uh, this sounds like a bunch of BS. It really does. But remember, when we're selling all this stuff, it was the only option. That's what we're trying to get at. The only option, or at least that's how they felt. And so we have... A ton of babies for adoption, Americans in and out of Canada, lawyers or lawyer for them cooking up shit contracts, and the cherry on top is the greed and disregard for human life that the Youngs truly had. So, boom, a whole new wealthy adoption market opened. That's one the way to look at it. Now, you got lots of babies that found new homes in the USA, and also lots died. Um... Uh, the state stopped many couples from adopting for lots of reasons. Age, state laws, like we said, religious laws, racial issues, as in they don't like the color of your skin or you're not the same color of your skin, so you can't fucking adopt. That's the way it was back then. It's disgusting, but it was uh, what gave breath of life to this horribleness in Canada were, were things like that. Well, Brent, it was, a, it was a different time. It was a different time, but not Canada and the Youngs. They didn't have these hang-ups or hiccups with it or whatever you want to call it. So you got all these grateful new parents who are very generous and made a lot of large and generous, as they call them, do- uh, contributions or donations to the, the ideal home out of gratitude. Now, I'm saying that because <laughs> um, I use air quotes when we're saying that because, you know, they're the these children are finding new homes but in many cases these new parents were not aware that siblings such as twins may have been separated to provide them with their chosen child because they like this one okay well we can make double the money then or that the child may have been secretly taken from its mother as in they say the baby died so he could get more money by selling it rather than letting the mom keep it because she wanted to keep it most of these moms didn't want to keep it and then when one did, they go, oops, died. We're so sorry. Yeah. You owe us $20 for this box. You're not going to be able to look inside that has no dead baby. And, uh, yeah, uh, we're going to sell your baby. You know, the other thing that, that I think goes along with that, you were talking about the the happy new parents, the ones that adopted um, and, and how they contributed. And, you know, I kind of think the euphoria of parenthood would lead folks to ignore warning signs. You know, you're you're a couple from South Dakota, and you make your way up to the ideal uh, maternity home and sanitarium, and, and you're blessed by you know, you, yeah, it cost you ten grand, but you've been saving for a long time, and you're blessed with a beautiful bouncing baby boy. And I mean, you were so elated because you and your wife had been trying for you know fifteen years to have a kid and couldn't do it, and uh, you now have a child, and it looks healthy, and you know it's everything you had hoped for and wanted. You're 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 kind of ignoring the why are all those butter boxes out back, or you know why do these women all seem depressed? You know, like they, I'm sure there are warning signs that folks would have picked up on more if this hadn't been like everyone's happy by the time they're leaving. Right. Well, postpartum depression's the bitch. You would know that if you're a midwife. You know, so that's why you <laughs> just don't understand it. Call the phrenologist. Yeah. So, man, yeah, so in the mid-40s, the pregnant girls coming to the home were generating revenues of about $60,000 for the youngs. That's just from the pregnant girls. But the real money was coming from baby sales. Babies sold for between $1,000 to $10,000 each. And on top of that, then donations were demanded and wait for it expected. And researchers have stated that uh, even allowing for the rejected babies, and that's terrible, the ones that they just didn't want to sell because... No one wanted that color or no one wanted that sex or malady, you know, you know yeah. Oops. It's got a, you know, whatever, uh, the deformity of some type, at or least, whatever, you know. yeah, at least 10% of the, the, the total and the sales to the less lucrative local market, it, it, taking those out, it's reasonable to estimate that half the babies, 700 or so were sold for an average of $5,000. That is a total of $3.5 million. Uh, for the from the mid twenties to the mid forties. 
And one of the things I didn't see in our research, but um, I have to assume is we, we keep saying the baby was sold for five grand or ten grand or whatever, but that and that's what happened. But it had, I'm sure it was couched in adoption uh, fees. Adoption and, fees. Yeah, it's they had um, they were smart enough to have a lawyer who did everything for them. And so at first glance, unless you really went into it, everything seemed on the up and up. And it was right. these, you know, a few, they didn't, we're going to get into this after the break. They, they, this one article, which really threw them under the bus, wasn't the first time, but it is the one that really made the mass spread of it. Um, it, it finally came to stop when they were outed. They were finally outed. That was the one that stuck, I guess. Um, so let's talk, Aftermath and reunited families and unfortunately non-reunited families uh, after the break. Let's do that now on Hysteria 51. Uh, Brent, you know... um on Webster, George Papadopoulos was played by an actual former football player named by the name of Alex Karras. Uh, Mongo from uh, Blazing Saddles. That's true. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Alex is a former Detroit Lion. Oh, man. He didn't even want people to know that. <laughs> Stop it. I, I should say was. Mongo, uh, Karras, only Karras passed away but... in Game of Life. <laughs> yeah, he passed. Holy shit, I didn't realize this. Did you know that he was actually married to Susan Clark? No, I didn't. No shit. For real? I'm looking at I'm I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. So they got that hot ma'am action on all the time. She's still alive too. Lives in uh lives in Canada. Seventy seven years old. She was married they were married in real life. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, That's I had no awesome. idea. Yeah. Some good news comes out of this episode, Brent. Yeah. So <clears throat> speaking of news, news is kind of what broke this stuff because there were investigations into the Youngs throughout the ordeal. And the tell-all article that we talked about that we're talking about a little more wasn't the only time people were coming after them. And they were attracting attention for no <laughs> reason other than they were buying new cars and land and on and on as people tend to do when they get money and they start to flash it. And they were making sure that they were in every big party and, and with important people. And they were making sure that these people then paid them money, let other people know that they were indebted to them and things like that. Just real douchebaggy evil stuff, you know? Well, I mean, think about the arrogance that comes along with deciding the future of women and their children. Uh, that arrogance is going to come through in other ways. Ugh, I know. The temptation is hard, but I fight the good fight constantly. No, you <laughs> anyway, after you, see, but I don't even you wouldn't do this level of douchebaggery. Hell no, I wouldn't. There are much more profitable things to do with babies other than adoptions. No, don't say it. <laughs> Jeez, what? <laughs> don't I don't want it. I just let's keep going. After several additions and expansions, uh, that little Look out, Kyle. <laughs> that small cottage they started with in 1928 was now this huge structure with, get this, 54 rooms and 14 bathrooms. Uh, wow, that motherfucker, you know, it had these elegant turrets like a castle, and it was surrounded by this huge lawn and all this greenery. And blood money kept this and the Young's mortgage free, so they got that going for them. You know, you know, they nice. don't have to fucking pay the bank anything because you know dead babies. Yay for them! Right. But people took notice, and so by '33, people were taking an interest into the home. And the Liberal Party came into office at that time, and one uh, cat by the name of Dr. Frank Roy Davis was appointed to the public health portfolio. That sounds fun. And he uh, was introduced to the problems at Ideal Maternity Home. People were talking. And he'd heard some of the gossip regarding the baby's deaths at the home himself. So for the next 15 years, he spent in office. He worked to be a thorn in the Young's business lives and personal lives and everything. He was he was after them. It was like his pet project. Right. Also in 33, uh, in response to all this mounting pressure, the Young's were forced to hire their first registered nurse I, I i laugh because they were running this sanitarium without a registered nurse for five years 
So yeah, that's a position they didn't insane. have. Insane. Yeah. Not, not surprising given the rest of the story, but insane. No, it's just amazing. And then legal issues start to to take place and then to take hold. So on March 4th of 1936, the Youngs were arranged, arraigned on two counts of manslaughter related to the death of Eva Neeforth and her baby. Now, you got to understand, we've talked a lot about that. The mothers were dying too. Sometimes that happens and that, that can't be um, helped, you know, with the best of medical attention when you don't even have a fucking nurse. Yeah. Your, yep. your, your chances of that are skyrocketed. Well, and this went on for 20 years because these people were good at checking the boxes that needed to be checked at the time. Well, that's literally, they succeeded in winning this case because of those reasons. But following right. this, the public health minister, uh, this that Frank Roy Davis, ordered the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, I like just saying it that way, Thank you. Uh, to investigate all known deaths at the home. Spoiler, that's not so good for them when you no. got you no. got to do all the deaths. So in the years that followed, they were charged with fraud and pretty much under constant investigation, supervision by the 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 powers that be in one way or another. But like some fucked up cult, the Youngs had built up a strong support group, which was constantly there and supported them. These rich people that they had gotten babies for because they couldn't were going, they helped us and were powerful. So go fuck yourselves. Prominent yeah. citizens, politicians, they, they were, like I said, probably associated through the use of their facilities or bribes or, you know, they took care of a woman that this person had knocked up and he didn't want her to talk and blah, blah, blah. That's how politics get done in a lot of places, unfortunately. I mean, it sounds it sounds like the script to like a bad movie, you know. Um, they owned the town. Right, right. <laughs> and they were killing babies and mamas and selling them for profit. Like, it sounds like something. But I mean, the, I guess back then it was much easier to kind of live on an island. And what I mean by that is like, you're, you're only this, the, the, you don't get the world's eyes on you. You've got your town's eyes on you. And if you grease the pockets of a few key people and you keep some other people happy through adoption and all that, it's, it's much easier to, um, to skirt the law and to do the things that you want to do. Well, they, they presented themselves really well. Like I said, they were, they were going to all these banquets and fundraisers and things like this. And they, they also weren't above threatening people, um, you know, here and there, you know, many prominent people in society needed them. It'd be horrible if your little secret came out, you know, they discreetly oh, yeah. used the It'd services. Be, hey, you know, little, uh, mm -hmm. little Johnny, um, being an adoption that no one knows about, boy, that probably, he probably wouldn't be near as popular at school if we kind of, you know, let everybody know that he came from a wayward team. Right. Well, so they were allowed to do their own thing for 17 years because for 17 years, they were operating without a fucking license. Wrap your head around that. They didn't need one. Thank God in 1940, the Maternity Boarding House Act was amended, and the, the Youngs applied for license and were turned down for what they'd been doing for 17 years. They were told, you can't do it. You're fucking gross. And so then finally, on November 17th of 1945, based on findings from investigations, the ideal maternity home was ordered to close. Now, what's that five years later? No, because they, you know, guess what? In 1940, they didn't stop. They didn't stop. They just kept fucking doing it. These pricks were still advertising lovely babies for adoption. So here's my question. It tracks to me how people can get away with horrible things if they're paying people off, threatening them and... You know, I mean, it, it's it's like the mafia's uh, <laughs> mo, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you pay yeah. pay who you can, threaten the rest, and kill them if they get in your way. What I don't understand is when there were people that took issue with the way they were operating. When people started noticing, even going back to the '30s, people started noticing shit was wrong. Lots of people were dying. Lots of kids. Lots of you know, butter boxes. Um, lots of moms. Um. When, when someone got a hold of that and started, you know, like a dog wouldn't let it go, that first article, uh, you know, all that stuff comes out. How does it still take years for them to, for someone to, you know, uh, put a fork in them because they're done? It makes you wonder if it's bureaucracy, red tape. It makes you wonder if they just were untouchable, uh, yeah. how corrupt the people around them were, or 
there just weren't uh, checks and balances in place. Like I said, they didn't even need a license. They did it for 17 years, and then when it's time to get a license, they were turned down because they, they didn't qualify. But you would just think that when like somebody in a position to do something about it actually learns about this, they're like, oh, fuck, stop. Yeah, you would think. Yeah, for sure. You know, but like yeah. I said, 1940s when they got the, uh, they were turned down and they weren't ordered to close until November 17th of 45. Five years they operated above the law. Uh, they were already doing that before, but that was when it was, you know. Frank Davis continued, though, like you're talking about these people in his battle to rid the world of this, this maternity home. Remember, Frank Davis was a public health minister and he began to track some of these adoptions. And that's really kind of what blew this case open. So uh, New Jersey officials uh, were on the hunt for the devil and they actually found a whole bunch of, uh, no, that's a lie. Uh, they came to his aid as they were also <laughs> trying to crack down on illegal. Call back. Illegal adoptions and baby smuggling. They had already stopped baby cursing. <laughs> now they were working on baby smuggling. <laughs> now they were working on smuggling. So in that fall, a New Jersey newspaper reported that the smuggling scheme had been uncovered. And to avoid an even bigger scandal, child welfare officials in Canada and the U.S. remained on the lookout for unauthorized movement of adopted babies that didn't have government approval. Remember, these babies aren't legal in the U.S. They're getting them by any means necessary in the U.S. But right. get this, to get around this, one, uh, the Youngs convinced a birth mothers to travel with their babies to the U.S. Boom. Then you are getting rid of the baby in the U.S. and you've brought it into the country legally. Right, uh, right. Just, you didn't have to worry about the border. Yeah. So after numerous charges and some uh, unsuccessful court appearances and fines and everything, the Youngs announced that they were closing their maternity home and opening a hotel. Yeah. <laughs> and about the same time, a Montreal newspaper article, that one we talked about, was released telling the Youngs business, uh, bringing all sorts of shit attention to both Canada and the U.S., you know, on to them. So they were back in court, attempted to sue for slander now against this, this newspaper. They were suing the newspaper. Yeah. But they lost that. And after the trial, the Youngs developed serious financial problems because guess what? Yeah, I imagine it's not good for you if you <laughs> if you pursue in court slander because someone calls you a, mur a child murderer and you lose. And we're not going to give you your money anymore. And you've spent it all because you are debt free and you've spent it all on all this stuff. And now you have no one coming to you. Uh, so they're bankrupt and they leave Eastchester just broke as they were when they arrived. You know, there's like 30 years later, they're, they're leaving the same way they came in. Two of their five children moved to Sudbury, Ontario. Uh, one of them moved to the U.S. and two remained in Nova Scotia. The home was actually destroyed by fire in 62, so you can't even go see anymore. And several years after this, William actually died of cancer. And his wife returned to Nova Scotia, and she resumed teaching school because you want her around children near Fox yeah, Point. It's a good idea. Yeah, that's where she grew up. And uh, this, this, you know, like I said, just you know, when you want her, really shaping the minds of of our youth. Then in 1969, at the age of 70, Lila Leela Lulu died of leukemia and was buried in the Seventh Day Adventist Cemetery in Fox Point. Close to all the fucking babies that she killed and buried or tossed in the fucking ocean. Now, John, the big part of this is there are a lot of survivors. It's terrible that somebody died. This is almost just as bad or as good. It, it, it depends on which side you're going to fall on. But I'm, I want to talk a little bit about the survivors. So on the bright side, babies were adopted and many have been able to reunite with the lost loved ones through continued work from survivors they have a lot of networks that they're working together because you got to remember a lot of these babies were taken from the mothers and the mothers were told they were dead and they weren't so right. they were given to someone else and that's not a knock on the people that adopted them per se because they might have not even known hey do you have a baby i sure do if you got the money so some of these people have been struggling for years that are still alive trying to locate their biological parents and of course if their parents are still alive, they're elderly now, if they're alive at all, you know, and that's scary. Now, here's the sad part. Many of the women who had went there to have their baby refused to talk to the grown children when they eventually found them. Um, many of the survivors said that finding the family was the closure they needed, and then that family refused to speak. Um 
that, like I said, there's a survivors of ideal maternity home website that w- works to connect families with their birth families. I'll put links to this in the, the show notes so you can read about that. It's sad. And it's something you hear about a lot. Uh, people spend their whole life looking for their parent. And then you find the parent and they go, I don't want anything to do with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's unfortunate, but, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure for those folks that track them down, at least they have the, um, I, I, you know, the no- knowledge in this case is half right. the battle. Well, so, you know? uh, Reva Barnett is, she's a survivor and she said, is a quote, it's difficult for someone who's, who's not an adoptee to understand the whole. There's just a part of you who's missing, not knowing that's not knowing where you're from or who it is. And, Sometimes, even if you're not going to have contact, at least knowing those people are out there. Now, she tracked down uh, her own mother, who was mad that she had found her, and her father uh, refused paternity, even though they proved that he was a father. But after they passed, she now has a relationship with her brothers and sisters that were half-brothers and sisters. Uh, but it was it took her parents dying before uh, the family was allowed to talk to her. It's fucking wow. just disgusting and just terrible. I guess the big question is, how, John, can a place like this run unchecked for so long? Well, this goes back to the conversation we were having a minute ago. The, part of it is how it was, I, I think it was easier for geographically things were more isolated. And so it was easier to control the narrative mm-hmm. when you only had so many people you had to grease the palms of. Right. Um, and uh, combine that with many people that walk away extremely happy with you. I'm sh- these people weren't stupid, right? Right. They knew who to make really happy, and 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 I'm sure a lot of court cases were won based on that. Um. So I think that's how it happened. I just think that, and and that is the one thing about the advancement of technology that I think is kind of unequivocally good, is that it it with the lights turned up. And more cameras everywhere and more uh, uh, communication everywhere. It is harder for huge human rights abuses like this to take place. Not to, I'm not saying they don't happen. Of course, they're taking place right now in in some of CBOT's favorite countries. Um, but it, it it is harder for it to happen and go unnoticed and unchecked. And I, I think that's a good thing. The, the world's getting smaller. And the, I think the big thing that funded this was money. You know, that's the sweet and sour of it. Um, you, you, you've got the desire to hide truth from the eyes of your community. If you're one of these women, um, and then you also have powerful people who want to use these facilities and they have the money to hide things. And that was a recipe for horror back in the time when they didn't have these eyes, like you said, and people are still paying the price for it, whether it is, you know, holes, like they said in their life, not knowing where they're from or finding those people that they do come from and want not inhabit or the, dead babies buried in a fucking unmarked graves out in the woods. Uh, yeah. I will say this butterbox babies aside, um, Nova Scotia looks like a beautiful place. I've never been, but, uh, <laughs> butterbox in, in, babies aside. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it looks like a, well, you know, it's not the only thing Nova Scotia is right. For. Much of um, Canada is just, uh, breathtakingly beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going to I'm gonna have to go during the one good month of, of whether they have one of these years. Yes, yes. Enjoy <laughs> not, the weather. It's winter. It's winter. It's a beautiful Enjoy the summer. weather, singular. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's winter. It's winter. It's a beautiful summer for two weeks, and then it's winter again. Right, 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 right. Exactly. So, yeah, kids, that's been the Butterbox Babies. I know it wasn't such a fun one, but it was an important one. I honestly thought when you first told me the topic, you, know, you got it from a, a, a listener su- suggested it, excuse me, and then you told me about it, and or not, you didn't tell me about it. You just told me the name of the topic. I really thought that it was going to be a cryptid, some weird cryptid of some type that, the you know, box, baby. <laughs> looks like a mole yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> no, I get that. I, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, no, um, it's, I wish I would have been right. It's a horror of mankind. That was my, that was my nickname in high school. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many of these out there and I think it's important just to remember these because the, to show some attention to these and, and maybe, who knows? Maybe someone will not know these and look into them and find a lost loved one. Maybe not. Who cares? Absolutely. It's worth remembering. Uh, and if you want to talk about this, go to a special place. What's that special place, Jen? Hysteria Nation. We will talk about this. We will talk about, uh, uh, we will also talk about uh, cryptids that could look like moles. 
And we'd be more than happy to talk about any Canadian foods that you would like us to try on an upcoming episode of Cafeteria 51. To do that, you go to Hysteria Nation, our Facebook discussion group. Just open up Facebook and search Hysteria Nation. That is right, or Facebook.com slash Hysteria 51 pod. That is our regular page. Patreon, patreon.com slash Hysteria 51. You can get mad blurry photos and all sorts of uh, fun. Uh, We just did one yesterday. We, uh, We talked, among other things. The goings on with GameStop and uh, AMC and all that shenanigans. Did you give investment investment advice? I did. I buy, sell, sell the buyer, buy, kill, kill. <laughs> no, wait, sorry, that's I'm channeling my inner Cbot. So, and uh, if you guys saw, if you go to Hysteria Nation, I did get a wonderful Christmas gift from Cbot this year. A beautiful puzzle box. I, I showed some pictures of it. And I'm be spending the next few days on my free time trying to solve that. Oh, it's, it sounds like a sounds like a winning idea. So yeah, thanks, buddy. You deserve all that it brings to you. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you can leave us a voicemail seven seven three six six nine seven two seven seven. Tweet to us uh, at hysteria fifty one pod. I am the Brent Hand. He is Gofo. G-O-F-O-L-I-T-E-1. Hey, give us a follow. Uh, we 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 argue we argue on Twitter uh, every now and then, and hey, more importantly, I send you, we tweet funny memes. I was sending you memes the other day, so, yeah. I, I, hey, I just said, I said, more importantly, we tweet <laughs> funny memes. <laughs> sell, buy, buy, sell, kill, buy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so with that said, I've been Brent. I've been John. He's been Conspiracy Bot. Stay woke, meet sex. It was terrible. It was just terrible. That's it for another edition of Hysteria 51. John and Brent will be back next week with yet more of the unexplained, the unexplored, and the unheard of. Oh, if it's unheard of, how will they know about it? Anyway, if you want to suggest a topic, give us your thoughts, or just make fun of Conspiracy Bot, that's my favourite. Join us in our Facebook discussion group, Hysteria Nation. Just log on to Facebook and search Hysteria Nation, or you can always tweet us at Hysteria51Pod. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.